Hey everyone, welcome back to ER Debrief Podcast. We really appreciate you guys hanging in there the last few weeks while we've been away. We just needed the time to do some more recordings, get ahead of things, um, and we both work full time, so that often gets in the way. Uh, So we really appreciate you coming back and hanging in there the last few weeks. We're really excited to share with you this episode as well as the coming episodes. So we hope that you enjoy them as much as we enjoyed recording them. All right, on to the show. Please pause for an important directive from Dr. Morgenstern, Chief of Surgery at County General Hospital. This episode contains heavy themes and serious content. Listener discretion is advised. All stories shared in this podcast have been altered to protect the identity of our patients and colleagues. Any perceived medical advice from the show should not be used for real-life medical concerns. Always consult your personal physician before proceeding with any new practice or treatment. This podcast will include spoilers for the episodes we are discussing, but there will not be any future episode spoilers. Thank you. Welcome back to ERD Brief Podcast, a recap podcast where two emergency nurses discuss the hit 90s TV show ER. We are your hosts, Melissa and Julie, and this week we will be discussing episode 17, season of season one. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. That was hard. <laughs> That's okay. Welcome back, everybody, Yay. on this wonderful Monday. Well, yes. Monday for you. Not yeah. Monday for us. It is yeah. not. It is Friday for oh. us. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Woo, Friday. <laughs> Melissa, how was your uh, week this week? Uh, it was fine. I got a haircut finally. It looks so fetch. Oh, thank you. I cut off oh, quite look. a few inches. There's a lot of hair on the floor. Yeah, and it, it was really great. wonderful. I just, it was so nice to be there. And like, I love my hairdresser. So, like, we got to catch up and. I made her some cloth masks and oh Oh, my gosh. And she gave me the most wonderful gift. So she also, she's also my mom's hairdresser and my mom was there this week as well. And she gave one to my mom as well. So Uh for those of you who don't know, my brother passed away. Um, And uh, she gave me a penny, like a Canadian penny of the yeah. year he was born. And oh, like that's so Oh, sweet. it is so sweet. Like whose hairdresser does that? Like that's amazing. Oh, that's really kind. Yeah. Wow. So like she had to hunt that down. What a thoughtful gift. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even know how she found like two cuz she gave my mom one too. It's like I don't know right. how she found those, but um she had to hunt them down and I know like I remember her talking about it maybe like a year ago, maybe longer. Um, she okay. was like, I really want to do this for your mom. So like, if you ever come across a penny, like, let me know. And yeah. I completely had forgotten about it. And then, yeah, she gave me my mom these pennies. Like there are lucky pennies. What a sweet thing to do. Oh, oh wow. That, is, just that a, is so oh, special. She's the that's absolute really nice. best hairdresser. <laughs> just amazing. Oh, that's so, <laughs> so nice. Yeah. yeah and I she, told her to listen she, to the podcast. So, hey, Laura. How's it yeah. going? <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> Hello. Hey, Julie, nice to meet you. <laughs> You're the best hairdresser uh, ever. <laughs> so sweet. Just so thoughtful. But anyway. That is so yeah. thoughtful. 
that's, that's so really the highlight of my week. So yeah, how is your Love week it. going? It's good. I um, I mean, it's not as uh, as wonderful as as that story, but I did come off um some nights. Ugh, and last night, okay, I had really great patients last night, and they were really so sweet, but I just was having, you know when you're just having a bad night, or just having a bad shift, and I was kind of grumpy, and just, like, not really in the mood for nonsense, I had, like, people were coming in for really silly things, and I was like, ah, and I was so frustrated, so then I was like, you know what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna order A&W, and I was like, and this nice. girl that I had was working with, she was like, oh, I just had some chicken tenders and they were so delicious. And now I'm like super thirsty and I'm just like need all this water. And I was like, oh, chicken tenders. Like I could, I could have some of those. <laughs> nice. So I like asked a few people if they wanted some A&W. And so there were two other girls that were like, yeah, like order me some. So then I went on skip the dishes and ordered the chicken tenders and like the meals or whatever. And I must have accidentally clicked for pickup instead of delivery. And I don't know how that happened because then it was like, okay, it'll be ready at this time. And I was like, oh man, that's so fast. Like they're going to be here right away. Sweet. And then I went to track my delivery and it kept saying like, rate your experience. And I was like, did they drop it off? And I didn't get it or like what happened? So I went out to the front, not there, came back in and I was like, okay, chat with support. So I was typing with support and they were like, oh yeah, so you you must have pressed for pickup and you obviously don't want that. And I was like, okay, well, can you change it to delivery? And they were like, yeah, we can, but it's going to charge you an extra $5. And I was like, okay, that's fine. Just like charge it to my credit card, whatever. And they're like, no, we don't have access to your credit card. So like you have to call us so that we can put it through. And I was like, okay. So then I had a few moments where there was nothing happening. So I like went to a place where I could get reception, called them, give them my information. And then it got put through. And then of course, at this point, the order has been ready for like a half an hour. So I'm like, the food has been cold. Like by the time it gets to me, it's going to be like very not cold. very good. Yeah. Yes. So then finally the food gets to the hospital and you know how on the skip the dishes app, you can see like you can see the car coming in on yes. the, the map yes. or whatever. It's like GPS. Yeah. So, <laughs> so this car, I'm outside and it's kind of chilly now outside, it, even though it's like middle of summer, it's kind of <laughs> chilly at nighttime. So I'm like standing out there. We're in like, Canada. Oh, oh. Yeah, we're in Canada. <laughs> so like this car pulls up the driveway and I'm like, oh, that's probably them because it was following the same trajectory as what was on the GPS. And I'm like waving them down. They look at me they don't like, they're like, what's, who's this broad, like waving at me. And I'm like, hello. And they just like drove right by. And I was like, uh, so then I have to like go walk down from the emergency entrance down to the main entrance. And I'm like trying to flag this person down. And I'm like, why aren't you stopping? And I thought they were trying to turn around. Anyways, I go up to the window and I was like, for Julie? And I'm like, annoyed. I'm like, for Julie? And she's like, no. Oh, no. And I was like, oh. Oh, no. Okay. And then this guy walks up the driveway and he's holding the bag. He's like, Julie? And I was like, yep. (laughs) And then, (laughs) so like, cool. So I like, yeah. So then 
it gets better, Melissa. It gets oh, better. Oh, no. So I'm, like, walking with the stuff. And after I'm like, oh, my God, finally my food is here. And I can feel better because these chicken dinners are going to be so freaking good. I bring them into the break room. The two girls that had their food were there, too. We look in the bag. There's no sauce for the chicken tenders. And I was no. like, what the flip? No. What's the point of having chicken tenders if you can't dip them in sauce? Right. And <laughs> we also got, like, sweet potato tenders? fries. Yeah. So then we also got um, sweet potato fries. They didn't put the chipotle mayo in. So then I'm back on the messenger. I had been chatting with support for, like, the whole this whole night. So then... I'm like, okay, well, I'll go and look for some sauce, and I'm holding my chicken tenders, and I open up the fridge, and I go to look for some sauce, and I bend over, and my chicken tenders fell on the floor. Oh, (laughs) no. (laughs) I don't... (laughs) Oh, no. I don't think I've ever been been so angry in my life. I don't think I have. I actually don't think I've been so angry. And luckily, oh, there were still no. two left that were in the bag that I was able to eat, but there were three that were just, I'm not eating off the hospital floor. Well, you floor. can't pick no things off the hospital no. floor. That's just not okay. No. Yeah. Not doing oh, it. Oh, shit. And then I was like, oh, wow. Like, I almost, at that point, I was like, I'm going home. I'm yeah. going home. <laughs> I have to go home sick. <laughs> I'm traumatized from this situation. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. This and is everyone's. Yeah. Oh, I'm so <laughs> And everyone's sorry. face looking at me, they were like, oh no. And I like took the chicken fingers off the floor and I like threw them in the garbage and I was like, I'm so mad. And I was so mad. Oh, and I bet. I ate my two chicken fingers very angrily. And oh then, uh, man, that is just back. a tragic yeah. story. Like, I'm Isn't very that a sorry tragic for you. Story? Yes. Not only was it cold, but then I dropped them. But then you oh. dropped them. Yeah. Well, like, you <laughs> struggled to get them, then they're cold, yeah. then there's no sauce, then you drop them? Like, oh I know. man. I know. Oh, I'm so it sorry. Was... Oh, me too. Anyways, I was very happy to go home. But again, my patients were very sweet. I had like, you know, yeah, I can't complain. They were very nice people. So luckily there was that. Yeah. But anyways, I went home and had a nap. And now I'm babysitting um, my friend's dogs for the weekend. So that's nice. I'm very excited about it. I'll take some pictures of them and put it on the Instagram. Yeah. They're cute. That sounds great. Yeah. So that, that makes up for the... For the chicken tender fiasco. <laughs> no, yes. Oh, gosh, I'm so sorry. Like, seriously, uh, my too. deepest condolences. I would have been very <laughs> upset for you. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, God. It sounds ridiculous, yeah. but, like, in the middle of the night when you are having a shitty night and you just want some freaking chicken tenders and you go through all of this to drop them on the ground, it would I would cry. Yeah. I think I would actually yeah. cry. Like, yeah. Uh, and I probably would have if there weren't like 10 people. Well, not 10 people. There were probably five people in the break room mm. looking at me like, oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. What She's is she going to do? And then one of my colleagues had made um, date squares. We had a, a code, a really unexpected patient die um, the night before last. And she brought date squares. And so she like came up to me. She's like, "Do you want a date square?" And I was like, oh, "No, I'm so mad. I don't want I a just date square." Can't. Yeah. And then, <laughs> oh, no. 
And she was like, but I didn't realize that she had made them. And so then she was like, yeah, they're homemade. And I was like, okay, I will have, I will have the dates. <laughs> yeah, yes. Because yes. they were, yeah. Homemade baked treats. I will always say yes to. Yeah, that's yes. fair. <laughs> that's fair. But I should also update uh, everybody on the Twitterverse. Yeah. How today. many followers? Okay. So we are currently at 68 followers. We are following 205 people. And, 68 uh, been, followers? Yeah, wow. 68. That's so, amazing. Um, yes. So we are, um, we're doing pretty good. And um, trending right now is, of course, Kamala has become the vice president, or, well, future vice president. Right. Because right. Biden is going to get in, and then Kamala is going to be the <laughs> vice president. I mean, we all pray. <laughs> like, that's what we pray for. Yeah. Let that's us what we pray. Yeah. Let us oh, pray. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, cool. But one thing this week, well, actually, it was a couple weeks ago, but I still thought it was a really good question that I wanted to ask you because I feel like it's a really fun thing to discuss. And it is what is something that you have learned now that you wish you had known as a new grad or as like a student nurse? Okay. Okay. I like this question. It's a great one. Yeah. Somebody yeah. just like posed this on Twitter. It's so cool. Yeah. yeah. They, every now and then on, so nurse Twitter is a hashtag that I follow. And every now and then they, they just have these really interesting questions that I really like. Um, and uh, it's, it's so interesting. I really like nurse Twitter. Cool. Immensely. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So something that in nursing school I wish I'd known or wish I'd been taught. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yes. Um, I think that the biggest thing that I still think about and work on every day is imposter syndrome. So Mm. it's, I don't know if that's like a technical term. It's just, I don't know if somebody told me about it or how I came across this term. term. Yeah, fairly well used, right? Yeah. Yeah. I wish that they had like a little bit more education about mental health maybe or like your personal mental health, not like treating people with mental health, but like your own personal mental health and healthcare. I wish that there was more of that, but imposter syndrome is something that I wish that they talked about. And if I was ever a nursing instructor, that is what I would talk to students about because everybody has imposter syndrome to a certain degree. Some people it's worse than others, but everyone for the most part, unless you're like a narcissist has this imposter syndrome, especially in healthcare because you feel like everybody knows what they're doing and you don't. Right. And you're just trying to cover for the fact that you don't know what you're doing and everybody else seems to know exactly what they're doing. Everybody else feels the same way and they're covering for the same shit, right? Like, exactly. um, It's a scary world to walk into. So like, yeah, just own it and be okay with it. You're not an imposter. You're there for a reason. You know what you are doing and like come prepared for sure. But don't beat yourself up over every little thing because everybody makes mistakes, right? Like everybody is Mm -hmm. learning and figuring it out and everybody learns Mm -hmm. and figures it out at a different pace. So 
yeah, just kind of embrace that a little bit more. I don't know. Or like understand it and talk to your other nursing student colleagues or whoever, your instructor about how you're feeling because they're probably not going to shame you for it. They're going to say, oh my God, I feel the same way every day. (laughs) Every day I walk through the doors, I'm like, everyone thinks I'm completely useless and dumb. Everybody feels that way. And yeah, yeah, I think that that was a big realization I had as a new grad. Once I started Mm -hmm. like trying to step, and it was probably like two or three years into nursing, I started to like step out of that a little bit and be like, hey, do you feel this way? Like, I feel like I don't know that I'm covering for the fact that I'm an idiot and I don't know anything. (laughs) Right? And like, I just kind of sent feelers out to people I trusted. And then slowly I started to realize, oh my God, everybody feels this way. Totally. And I'm actually not doing a bad job and people think I'm okay and it's fine. So, yeah. yeah. And I think especially in nursing, there's a lot of, Type A personalities and people give this impression that they're doing great and that they're, they kind of put on a brave face all the time. But if you just communicate with each other and say exactly as you suggested, talk about it openly with some people that you trust, guaranteed everybody's feeling that way. Right. There's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of pressure. Absolutely. Yeah. And especially in nursing school, the only way to really have that imposter syndrome diminish a little bit is to have experiences and to go into nursing and to work on the floor and to, you know, have, get some experience. Some healthy imposter syndrome is not a bad thing, I don't think. Like a healthy level of Like trying to prove yourself, sure. Yes, absolutely. And you can't come completely unprepared. You need to be prepared and like intelligent and know what you're doing to a certain extent. But yeah, 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 you're right. There is a healthy level of it. And then there's the unhealthy level that I think I was sitting at for a long time. (laughs) Oh, me too. Big time, big time. And I think something that sort of lends to that, which, which would be my answer is just like, especially in emergency, but, but everywhere being okay with the unknown and being okay with being uncomfortable. I remember when, so we have this undergrad, undergrad program. So once you've completed a certain block or course in your nursing degree, you can work in the hospital as an undergrad nurse underneath a nurse. And you basically take on an assignment with an RN and you're basically half a nurse kind of thing. And so like, and I was so anxious all the time going to work because my ultimate fear was I'm going to kill somebody. I'm going to make a huge mistake and I'm going to kill someone. So I would like cancel shifts. I would call in and be like, yeah, I can't come in or, and like not the day of you could cancel. You're basically casual and you just, they plot you in or whatever. And so I'd cancel like a couple weeks in advance and just be like, I can't even handle it. Like I can't, can't even go in. And then one day I was just like kind of, working through it with myself. And then I was like, you know what, Julie, like as long as you're asking questions and as long as you're studying and you're looking up things you don't know and you understand there's always people around you that can help you. And so after that, then I was kind of like, okay, I'm okay with not knowing everything and just understanding that I'm going to gain confidence and gain experience as I go along. 
And I feel that way even now, like even in Emerge every day, I learn something new and I used to have so much anxiety going to work at the beginning of starting working in Emerge. And now I kind of feel like, oh, you know what? I, yes, I don't know everything, but I know enough that I have people around me. I have resources at my disposal and I can react to what I need to react to. And so basically I wish in nursing school, I would have, that would have really helped my anxiety and like stress over those experiences. If I had just kind of already understood that, like that feeling is always going to be there. Right. You don't know everything. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, like being comfortable with the uncomfortable, like that's just nursing. Like, I think that that is the best definition of nursing that I've ever heard. You know? Yeah. Like that's yeah. the job is being super exactly. comfortable with the uncomfortable. Right? Like just rolling All with it. the time. Melissa, do you have any fun facts for us today? I do. And it's a little bit of a self-serving fun fact this week. So I apologize if no yes. one is interested in this. Um, <laughs> I am interested. So that's why I'm going to talk about it. All right. So there is a guest star, guest actress, guest actress, I guess. Yeah. In this episode, her real name is Janelle Maloney, but she plays Mm -hmm. uh, Mrs. Nancy Larson, who brings in her malnourished son into the ER in this episode. Oh, yes. Do you remember? Okay. So she is, so she has a very short scene in this episode. It. So I don't even think I like mention it in my synopsis uh, for this podcast, but I did mm-hmm. want to mention her because so Janelle Maloney means a lot to me because if you know me at all, or I think I've maybe mentioned it a few times, I mm-hmm. love, love, love the West Wing. It is like my favorite series of TV of all time. I rewatch it constantly and it was produced in part by John Wells, who produced and wrote a lot of ER. So, okay. So I just wanted to like mention the correlation. So uh, Janelle Maloney, who's in this episode, plays Donatella Moss in The West Wing. So I think like, this is just me thinking, I have not read this in any kind of actual context, but this must've been the first time that uh, Janelle Maloney met John Wells. Mm-hmm. And so maybe it was like a little bit of part of the reason why she ended up in the West Wing. She did also guest star in one of Aaron Sorkin, who is the writer of the West Wing. Um, she did guest star in one of his previous shows called Sports Night, which is also great. So if you're a Aaron Sorkin fan, you should definitely check out Sports Night. It's wonderful. Uh, <laughs> um, but but yeah, so I think there was like a combination of like she already knew Aaron Sorkin a little bit. And then this episode is where she would have met John Wells. So that maybe helped her in getting the uh, West Wing gig, which she was on that show for the whole seven years. Like she was there the whole time. Very cool. So yeah. And she's a wonderful actress. And she almost quit acting just before the West Wing. She had, oh she'd my been, God. yeah, she'd been like a server for years and she'd just been getting these guest spots. So like ER was like one of the bigger ones that she got early on. And then she got a guest spot at sports night and then like a few other kind of lesser known shows. 
and then ended up on the West Wing for their entire uh, tenure. But I was really excited to see her. And <laughs> in a coming episode, in episode 19, we are going to mm-hmm. see her love interest from the West Wing on ER, Bradley Whitford. I'm so excited. He's like one of my favorite actors. So stoked. Oh. <laughs> so anyway. I need to look up who Bradley Whitford is. Yeah, he was on, um, well, The West Wing, but he was also on recently, what's that horror movie? Oh, yes. I, and he's on Handmaid's Tale. Oh, he is on Handmaid's Tale, yes. And Get Out! Get Out is the movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. So, yes, that's my fun fact. A little bit of information okay. about Janelle Maloney and The West Wing. If there's Love an opportunity it. for me to talk about The West Wing... I will take it. <laughs> so. Okay. I mean, I don't blame you. It sounds like a great show. This episode is titled The Birthday Party. It was written by John Wells. Oh, love him. And directed by Elodie Keene. It aired on February 16th, 1995. A brief synopsis of the episode. Dr. Green and Dr. Benton each have family birthday parties to attend, but... ER demands keep them away. Meanwhile, Carter mistakenly thinks it's Benton's birthday and hires belly dancers as a celebratory surprise. Carol considers adoption and Dr. Ross assaults a man in the ER that he believes kicked down his own daughter out of a window and faces disciplinary action. Yeah. What are your duels? Um, okay, I didn't really pre-prepare, yeah. so I'm going to just do this on That's the fly. Um, I liked this episode. It was pretty good. Um, I was happy that I liked it because John Wells wrote this one, and I was a little bit negative about the last one he wrote. So I think I'm going to say, like, 250? Yeah. I think. Okay. Ooh, That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> I would say I was more like... Yeah, I liked it. I, I was more lukewarm about it. Maybe, like, 190. No, All right. Any jewels. Okay, that's fair. It was good. It was good. I liked the episode. Yeah. All right. Okay, so let's get into the episode. Uh, We open on Doug leaving his latest Mm -hmm. one-night stand, whose name he can't remember. Maybe it's Natalie. (laughs) It's wrong. It's actually Pamela. Completely different. Uh... (laughs) But you know what? I kind of appreciated the fact that she didn't know what his name was either. Like She was like, I don't know, Dan? Doug? I don't know. And so they were very much on the same page. Yeah. Just sleeping together. Oh, totally yeah. fine. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There uh, was no hard feelings <laughs> there. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> so Doug ends up going to work, like, extremely early, which I thought was super weird. Like, he literally leaves his one-night stand and goes to work. So I know. That was <laughs> like, super strange. Like Right? Like, it's four mm-hmm. in the morning. His shift probably doesn't start till seven. Yeah. And everyone's commenting on the fact that he's there early. Would yeah. you ever go to a shift early like that? And like, There are people that do. Yeah, I guess like as a physician, maybe. I mean, as a resident, would you ever? Like, I just, you're not getting paid yeah. for extra patients exactly. as a resident. Yeah. So I just think it's so, super it, weird. It is. Um, it is odd. Yeah. But I mean, he says he's just going to catch up on paperwork. Kind of like, I guess. 
I don't know. I would never go to work when I am not being paid. Like, sorry. No, no, thank you. I can barely be there when I'm being paid. So I'm not going to go extra time. Like, there's no way. Exactly. Uh Hard pass. Yeah. Hard Crazy. Hard anyway. So Dr. Benton wakes up at his mother's house where it appears that Jackie and Walter still live. Like, so I, I was very confused because last episode I yeah. was like, oh, clearly they've moved out of the house. Yeah. And like Dr. Benton is living there with his mother. Yeah. But no, like they're all still there. I know. <laughs> so he's living with them then. He's well, living. I don't know because he also there's like a later part of the episode I think where he's like, oh no, it's this part of the episode because Jackie, his sister, is like, I was gonna send you home, but you were so passed out that I decided to just let you sleep oh. on the couch. Yeah, super weird, very weird. I don't know. Yeah. I can't. I can't figure this out. But apparently. Yeah. He's just coming over there to help take care of his mother so more. So this maybe makes a bit more sense. Because remember how he said he's going to be looking after his mom three days a week. Then the physio two days a week. So then maybe the other two are his brother and sister-in-law. No, mm, sis- that makes sense. sister and brother-in-law. Sister and brother-in-law. So that they're mm. not full-time caring for her. Right, right. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that probably makes sense. Okay. Yes. I was just kind of like, what is happening here? I don't understand the situation. Yes. Okay, that makes sense. Because remember, we were like, awesome. what about the other two days? Now it makes more sense. Right, right. Yeah. So that they're covering the last two days. Okay, that yeah. does make sense. Yes. All right. So Dr. Benton is reminded by his sister Jackie that his mother's birthday party is that night. And he had not remembered that. So Dr. Benton then spends the rest of the day trying to beg other surgical residents to trade their shift for that night so that he could be at his mom's birthday party. Um, And it looks like when he's begging one of the residents that he's been trading a lot of his shifts because he's been trying to accommodate for the care of his mother. We later see that he is confronted by Dr. Hicks, Dr. Angela Hicks about his trades saying that he can't swap that many shifts because it's disrupting the balance of like the schedule that they've spent a lot of time creating yeah which like I guess I get but I feel like how do you even know like yeah how do you know that this is a problem like how many shifts do we trade we trade all the time I know because as long as you're getting the hours it shouldn't matter right Like, and I guess we're not being taught or we're not in some kind of educational program, but like, how do you know what's going to be coming in day to day? Like, as long as you're not being unsafe in the number of hours you're working in a row. Yeah. But even then, they're not super controlling over that. Like, I think like, what's the rule? We can work like 12 shifts in a row. Yeah. Is it more than that? It's something crazy like that, yeah. Like, it's something more than it should be. Like, if they were controlling it to, like, five or six, sure, that makes way more sense. But, like, we can work a string of shifts for a long time. Yeah. Which is absurd. Yeah. And Mark talks about doing, like, 72-hour shifts and, like, doing all of these long stretches, but she's worried about Peter not sleeping. Like, a... I just don't, I don't know. It seems really strange. 
good that she's worried about him sleeping, but it doesn't seem like they are are pushed or encouraged to sleep. It seems like they're encouraged right. to just work their shift. I don't know. Yeah, it just seems kind of crazy that, like, this is even being confronted. That, like, at this point, he's just being confronted about trading his shifts. Like, Mm -hmm. you're allowing trades, correct? Like, set me the parameters on which shifts I can and cannot trade. Like, how many work I can work in a row. And I'll work within that, right? Like, I don't know. You've got to come up with the rules, and then I'll work within those rules. But, yeah, if you're not going to be able to, like, accommodate somebody who's caring for their mother, it's not like a trip to Mexico. He's literally trying to care for his mother. Yeah. I think that that's pretty, pretty sad. Yeah. Anyway. It is. I was a little disappointed in this moment with Angela Hicks. Like, I think later it ends up being more of an issue. But, like, right Mm -hmm. now, this was kind of silly. Yeah. Agreed. Anyway. Yeah. And also, it's also, I think... A mark of a good employee is someone that can manage their personal life and then also manage their professional life. And so he's making, he's making it possible for him to be present in both. So if that means trading his shifts to make room for his mom and whatever, I think that's a good thing. Yeah, I agree. That's not a bad thing. I agree. Yeah, like let him figure it out and possibly fail on his own rather than getting involved. Like unless he's being unsafe, like if he's being unsafe, then absolutely you need to intervene. Like if he's working more than whatever number of hours you've deemed acceptable, like uh, personally, if you're working more than 12 hours in my mind in a 24 hour period, that's wrong. Yeah. Um, but like, For sure. you need to identify what you think is appropriate and what isn't and set those limits. And if you're working within those limits, then whose business is it yeah. of yours that exactly. you're trading shifts? You allow trading of shifts. Yeah. And maybe you need to be starting to set parameters or guidelines for when and how many shifts you can trade. Other than that, like, don't get in my face, you know, like I would be annoyed if I was Peter and I was like, you know what? I don't get any vacation. I'm not able to accommodate this. The only way that I can do it is through trades and you allow trades. I'm working within your rules. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Exactly. Yeah. I would be annoyed if I was Peter. So then we go into a patient. Her name is Renee Mm -hmm. and she is clearly a very frequent flyer in the emergency department or in their emergency department. All the doctors seem to know who she is and she has come in with an intentional overdose. So she was trying to commit suicide with this overdose is what it sounds like. Mm -hmm. Dr. Green talks to the dad who is basically kind of at his wits end, like an unemotional about the situation. He's just kind of been dealing with this clearly for a long time. Stuck in this cycle of his daughter's addiction. Yeah, it really, like everything that he's really tried has not been very effective. And mm-hmm. here is a clip of him talking to Dr. Green about the situation. Renee's going to be okay. We pumped your daughter's stomach. Tox Green showed cannabis, opiates, benzodiazepine. Her blood alcohol level was 375. She had a fight with her boyfriend. Said she wanted to kill herself. You want me to get psyched down here again? What for? They'll just 
let her out in a couple of days. Have you thought about any inpatient treatment centers for Renee? When we did that, she cut her wrist. What am I going to do? I just, like, felt so badly for this guy. Like, yeah, it just, I don't know. And he's not wrong. Like, everything that he said was right. And that's exactly how it would go. If we consulted psych, they would potentially deal with her for, maybe they admit her for a couple of days. While they try to get her on some medication, maybe do a few counseling sessions, maybe. And then have her be on her way. She's adamant that she wants to continue using it clearly throughout this episode. Yeah. So, like, yeah, I don't blame the dad for being like, why consult psych? Like, nothing happens from that. Because yeah. she has to want to change for something to happen from that. Yeah. Right? And so, so, yeah, I felt really badly for this dad. More so than for the patient themselves. And I find mm-hmm. that a lot of the time I end up feeling worse for the family. Mm-hmm. Um, then for the patient in addictions issues anyway, because yeah. it's just got to be so stressful. Like there's no solution unless the person wants to change. There's no solution. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, it's so, it's so hard, so hard for the family, hard for the person who's going through it, hard for the family. And sometimes it's difficult to know what the answers are because, um, even if the person is sober, they're still, they are, they still have an addiction, but every day they're making the choice to use or not to use. Right. Sorry. Right. It's not always a choice. Sometimes you're like an addiction isn't necessarily a choice, but what I mean is like, if you're sober, it's like a constant battle to not use. Like some days might be easier. Some days might not be as easy, but yeah, it's just like, oh, so rough, like, and hard to, hard on everybody. I think what gets lost a lot with like the general public, especially with family members of these situations is the thing that they don't understand is that it's not about like, we can't force somebody to get better you can't come into the hospital and expect or be admitted to the hospital or into rehab or whatever like any of those processes aren't the solution right the person themselves wants to get better that's the only way Mm -hmm. and they have to be dedicated to that it can't be a fleeting moment it can't be okay i'll go to rehab it's got to be no i want to do this for myself or for whatever reason they're deciding. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's the hardest thing for the public to understand, right? Well, if I get them into the hospital or if I get them admitted or if I get them into rehab, then those people will make them better. Well, that's not the case, right? Like, which is really Mm -hmm. tough to understand. I think like unless you're in healthcare and seeing it day to day, it's a really hard concept to get. Yeah, And I think part of it too, a huge piece of that is, yes, it's down to the individual, but also like it's definitely dependent on the system that you have. If you have public health care, if you have um, an investment in mental health services, addiction services, um, because 
there are lots of people that do not have, and not only that, but also family support like this dad. And I think, you know, there are so many people that have addictions, addictions issues, and they, it can be frustrating because you give them every single resource and they still come back with the same issues. But also that person might be homeless or might be estranged from their parents or they don't have any family around. Right. And then it's even more difficult if you don't have a community that's behind you and supporting you. And even then you can have everything in place. You can have great family and friends that support you and, uh, you know, counselors, addiction services, hospitals, like you can have so many things at your disposal and still, you know, struggle with addictions. Right. It's so, yeah, there's no simple solution. Some people are able to overcome it. And then there are people that are sober for 20 years and succumb to their addiction and use again. It's just multifaceted. And so, yeah. 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 yeah, You're right. Like Mm -hmm. it's gotta, you have to have everything in place really. Like you have to first want to be better, like want to get better and have the drive to do it yourself first. And then, but then yeah, yeah, in order to succeed in that you need support yeah so to kind of complete the story with renee so her daughter or her dad is frustrated by her behavior ends up signing her out of the hospital because she's like adamant on wanting to leave she wants to leave with her creepy boyfriend her dad is just done like he's like whatever just let her go i can't do anything further here um, which I thought was kind yeah. of interesting because, like, Renee looks like an adult. Yeah. Uh, would you need the father's consent to sign her out? Like, it seems odd to me. Yeah. yeah that that yeah, would yeah. ever that is really happen. Weird. Yeah. Like, if yeah, you're an would... adult, unless you don't have capacity, which I think she does, just because you're a drug addict doesn't mean you don't have capacity. I feel exactly. like she could make the own, her own decision to just leave at any time. Yeah. Um, and people aren't signing themselves out. I think that that's kind of a funny thing that happens in like medical shows a lot is that like you have to sign yourself out to be discharged. Well, like, no, you just go home. <laughs> like the doctor yeah, yeah. signs no, you, you out. No, you just leave. Right. And you just leave. Exactly. We sign you out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You can, you're free to go. Yeah, just rock on. No one's on. holding you here. Totally. Yeah. And then we go to nice. um, the Russian girl, Tatiana, uh, from our last episode. So she was abandoned by her adopted mother. Weirdly still in the emergency department. She was recently diagnosed with AIDS. Yeah. And they are treating an infection, I believe. And she has pneumonia. They keep her in the emergency department for many days, it seems like, which, yes, not quite realistic. But anyway, um, so she's still in the emergency department. And Carol and Dr. Ross have been following her and like taking care of her um, and waiting for social work to come uh, to see her. So the social worker eventually comes and is prepared to take her to a hospice center and it's called Sunshine House. Uh, and it's basically a hospice for children, which actually, like, it looks very nice. Like, eventually we see Tatiana yeah. at Sunshine House and 
I was quite surprised. It looks really It looks nice. lovely. Yeah. Like, yeah. There's the a... kids look cozy. They have their own little beds and stuffed animals and games and like yeah yeah it looks really nice yeah it looks really nice cute so it was kind of surprising to me that like kind of what happens later with carol wanting to adopt but but so far it seems like sunshine house seems like a really nice option i'm impressed that they had this option for her so anyway uh, mm-hmm. So next we see a kid come in, a very young kid, with a gunshot wound um, who was shot by his own brother by accident. It was... Mm. This was so sad. It was really it was sad. So sad. Like this dad yeah. was a police officer and had guns in the house and he was really traumatized by the fact that he probably forgot to lock his gun cabinet locker or uh, whatever it is which is like why are your cops bringing their firearms to their house well, like or like why do you have firearms whatsoever in your house like it might not be like his actual yeah. like service pistol or whatever it is or weapon that he uses but like he has guns in the house yeah. that he leaves like why do you have guns in is, the house this is america period like uh, this is this is open carry. This is, well, not open carry necessarily. This is like why I think it's very, it's a very foreign concept in Canada. I guess, sorry, it's not, a, it's not necessarily a foreign concept. There are people that own firearms, but they're usually outside of the city. Like they're usually people that hunt, that actually like hunt game and they right. harvest meat for their families and they harvest meat, you know, to sell at markets or whatever. It's like pretty rare that people will just in inner city own a firearm, like a handgun. Yeah, like have handguns. And it's yeah. Yeah. Whenever police come in to the hospital to drop patients off uh, like under forms, it always makes me really uncomfortable when they have their gun on them. Like it just, it's so, it's, it's just eerie. It doesn't feel comfortable. It feels unsafe. Even though that police officer is very in control of their firearm, it still just feels not great. I don't like it. Yeah. I just, uh, yeah. I mean, of course, like we live in a fairly redneck area of Canada. So like, yeah, there are, we do. Uh, For the most part, within Canada, we live in probably the area that there's going to be the major, like the most number of like, yes, guns in homes. But even then, like we don't have the same number of shootings. We don't have those issues because we have decent gun control laws. Like, you know, yes, I just, if you need a gun today, there's problems. Yeah. Right. Like. If you're able to apply for a license and, like, go through the screening and, like, do the proper protocol, then, like, odds are things are okay. Like, for the most part. Of course, there's going to always be exceptions. But, yeah, like, gun control laws are not the enemy. They are protecting you and the rest of society. Like, I don't understand the logic that... Oh, we should we should just be able to buy a gun whenever we want. If you need a gun right now, that's a problem. Why do you need a gun right yeah. now? <laughs> right? Like Well, 
And my understanding is in, in Canada, at least, people that own guns, it's mostly for, like, target shooting or, like, they're hunting. hunting. It's for some sort of activity. Right. It's very seldom that someone has it for their protection. Yeah. It's not a it's ton n- of people really... are carrying them around. Like, that's, yeah, yeah super or rare. Or, like, have them in their bedroom or have them in their household. They would have them in, like, a several of my cousins that they hunt. And... I got into this discussion with one of them about um, the new gun laws that Trudeau put in, which were not very helpful and they didn't really do anything. But um, they, we were talking about this and how it affects him as a gun owner. And he was like, you know, our gun laws are really great. It takes me 20 minutes just to get into the locker because it's so secure. Oh, that wow. He has to go through. It takes about 20 minutes just for him to get to it. And he has two daughters. So, you know, like there's a ton of safety measures that are put in place that I I don't know if it's legally if they have to do that or not, mm. but I know that they it has to be locked away so that it is not accessible to young kids or people um that might fall upon it accidentally. Right. Well, and like yeah. how traumatizing is that cuz I felt so badly for this child that's alive. Oh my gosh, like, he's so yeah. like he killed so his brother. Cute. I don't actually know how yeah. it ended. Did the brother die? I think I don't. I don't think we found out. I don't it think was we a really did short either. Little segment. Yeah. yeah, but I. It didn't sound good. What they were saying. No, so. it didn't sound great. Too promising. But like, yeah. even because like best case scenario, this kid is going to be like. For sure, like, because I'm pretty sure there was vertebrae involvement. Like, they had, I think they said, like, T1 or they, there was, like, the the bullet had gone through a couple of vertebrae. So, like, for sure there's going to be paralysis at the very minimum, right? If not, like, this brother is passing away. And so, like, can you imagine, like, that kid was so young. He was maybe, like, seven or eight max. Oh, and like he yeah. killed his brother no. because like they got yeah. into the guns and they thought it was fun. And I'm sorry yeah. when you're that yeah. young, even when you're like a teenager, guns are cool. Mm-hmm. Or like, oh my god, the danger mm-hmm. of it all is super cool. And mm-hmm. I just yeah, is that worth this risk? Like, are you really gonna yeah. have the this opportunity to protect yourself in that way? Yeah. Like yeah, there's no yeah. way I would have a gun because I would for sure shoot myself before I would shoot uh, somebody who was attacking me. <laughs> like, there's just no way I'm doing that correctly. Oh, totally. I just, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but it's just, there's been so too many. One case of a child accidentally shooting a parent or shooting themselves or shooting their sibling is enough. And there's been multiple times where this has happened south of our borders and probably... Probably in our own country, yeah, too. Yeah, I'm sure, yeah. It's just that, like, the amount of school shootings that happen, too, is just obscene. Like... It is. Ugh. It's crazy. Anyways, it's that's crazy. a whole other can of worms. But... Yeah. Yeah. I also felt like this dad, this police officer, was, like, not emotional about his son being shot. Like, he was telling his kid to shut up. Yeah. Is covered in his brother's blood has clearly gone through something traumatic and he's telling his kid to stop crying. Yeah. It's like, I think that there are some very serious problems in this family yeah. with vulnerability. I agree. Oh, that yeah. was just such a sad Agreed. story. Ugh. 
It All was. this gun violence is uh, just too much for me. <laughs> I can't. I can't. Too much. Yeah. Yeah. So then Dr. Chen is sitting with Dr. Carter and they are going through like a bunch of fish to try to find some random dude's finger um, to reattach. Yeah. Ugh, so gross. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine? We would never do that. I just no. feel like we would be like, no, it's oh. lost. It's done. Yeah. That finger's uh, gone. Finger's gone. Like, it's not We're being not reattached. We're not going through the We're fish not... frozen basket. Like, no, no one would do that. Anyway, uh, no, not okay. Like, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, Dr. Chen and Dr. Uh, Carter are looking through this halibut fish to try to find his finger. Um, and yeah. Dr. Chen asks Dr. Carter what he's going to do for his sub-eye. And I was kind of like, what the frack is a sub-eye? So apparently it's a sub-internship. like Happens in the yeah. States. I don't think this is a thing in Canada that we necessarily do or we don't call it this yeah but basically it's in your last year of medical school and you get to choose slash apply for a sub internship where you can try to practice within the field that you want to potentially be in so Mm -hmm. so dr chen is asking dr carter about where he's applied and dr carter is not applied whatsoever he was just like i thought we just signed up um and dr chen is like well (laughs) no you don't just sign up you've got to apply and then they've got to select you so this is a clip of them having this discussion have you decided what you're going to do in your sub i next year my elective Uh i don't know I got a couple of months to make up our minds. Oh, sure, but the good ones are going to be long gone. I thought we just had to sign up. Uh, no, it's really competitive. Oh. I was thinking about just staying here. Trauma placement? We've already got 12 requests for the one spot. In the ER? Mm-hmm. I mean, we're here, so we have the inside track, but it's the resident's decision. Benton? Uh-huh. Well, it's not supposed to be. But they always go with who the resident wants. So have you already applied? Are you kidding? As soon as I got here, I didn't want Ben to think I wasn't interested. So <laughs> it kind of makes you think that, doc, like, about Dr. Carter's background, or this is what I thought. He seems to just think that that he's just going to get whatever he wants kind of idea. Like, I really like Probably Dr. Carter. Probably because he has. Yeah. Yeah. I really like Dr. Carter. I think he's a wonderful human being. But, like, yeah, it just seems like he's not concerned with what he needs to be applying for or what competitive nature exists. Um, he's just like, yeah, if I, I just sign up for it, right, and I get it, is kind of his attitude, which was kind of like yeah. a little white privilege e a little. Oh, Majorly. Yeah, okay. This guy is top of the food chain. He's a good looking totally white, white guy dude. who's in cis, med school. Like, as far as yeah. It seems as far as we know, cis white gendered male, like he and straight, uh, from what we know. Totally. Like he he is the top of the food chain. He yeah. gets whatever he wants. I'm not saying that he hasn't had to work hard, obviously. Right. You have to work hard if you're in med school. Mm-hmm. But like 
opportunities probably aren't aren't in short supply for him. Right, right. I totally agree. Totally yeah. agree. So interesting. Like, I really like how this portrays him because he's a really lovable guy and he's a wonderful person. And he treats his patients like gold and like he cares. Yes. But he still has this privilege idea that like everything just comes to him. Yes. Yeah. And people like Susan, like Dr. Chen, Dr. Peter, yeah. um, especially Peter, especially Dr. Hicks. They are people mm-hmm. that have had to fight very 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 hard and be the best all the time like totally and like dr chen was like because he asked dr chen did you apply and she's like uh day one i applied like are you dumb like of course i applied right away so then we go to dr ross who treats a baby who fell from a second story balcony onto a driveway and there's some like issues with like they don't really know what's mm-hmm. happened in this situation. The dad is there, and um, the kid is very very unwell. And then it ends up being it ends up turning out that once they cleared the kid's C spines so that mm-hmm. all of their vertebrae were intact, they end up taking the backboard and the neck brace off to look at the kid's back, and it turns out that yeah. there is a like imprint of a boot on the kid's back yeah so dr ross just goes absolutely crazy he runs out to the waiting room and decks the dad (laughs) yeah that's right um he's very upset that this dad he looks i mean he does do his due diligence looks at the dad's boot does it match this kid's imprint on their back and it does and then he ends up punching dad oh, yeah. uh-huh. and having to be pulled off of this guy which like i guess i yeah, totally get i'm on board yeah <laughs> um, i know yeah i just can't i can't imagine like i can't imagine being in dr ross's situation i i mean i've been mm-hmm. very angry mm-hmm. at parents or patients or family in the past yeah because usually we don't get those definitive answers usually a, ch- a kid will come in and it's like uh sort of a suspicious like we got called for this and then we get there and they're asystole and we got called for a headache and it's like what and then they come in and it's just like you see all these strange injuries that they shouldn't have if it was what they claimed happened right um so child abuse is always really it's the story never lines up and it's always really suspicious and it's like Somebody's not telling the truth here. Right. And you explain that really well, that, like, we usually don't get this definitive of evidence. Like, it's not like we're, like, 100% solid that this kid is being abused by this parent specifically. Yeah, you don't know, right? Like, you know that there's something Mm -hmm. fishy going on. And so you involve social work or so, no. or child services or whoever. Yeah. But like you yeah. never get the specifics of any yeah. case, right? Like that, oh, this is what's happening. Because it's always like you don't want to assume right away that's what's happening in that family. You want to believe them. Like you want to believe that it wasn't purposeful. Yeah. You know, because like, you know, you have this little child in your care it's it's so like awful 
to, you know, believe or to have that understanding that someone is hurting them. Right. Intentionally. Right. So you want to believe them and then later it'll come out, you know, you hear it on the news and you're like, oh, that sounds like that person that I worked on or whatever. So yeah, so then we see Carol and Tag, and this is outside of the emergency department, which is super exciting. And they have just left a church that they've been looking at for their wedding, which it sounds like is a church that Tag and his family um, go to frequently, um, and that his sister has gotten married at in the past. Um, and Carol just hates this church, <laughs> hates it. Um, and here's a clip of their exchange. Hey! I hate it! That is a beautiful church. It's a mausoleum. My family's been coming here for years. Why don't we just rent Soldier Field? We can invite fewer guests. We don't have to fill it up. Look, hey, Beth got married there and it was lovely. Oh yeah, your sister, great. Maybe I could borrow her wedding dress too. Look, Tag, you know what? I hate it, okay? Isn't that enough? Sure. Fine. I'm sorry. I'm tired. I was up all night with Tatiana. I'm worried about her. I was thinking that maybe I could do more to help her. I was thinking maybe we could adopt her. You want to adopt a kid with AIDS? Yeah. She doesn't have anybody. She doesn't speak the language. She's completely alone. How advanced is the virus? She doesn't have a lot of time. What, a month, a year, five? What difference does it make? We could be watching a child die for years. Why, why do you have to do this now, three months before the wedding? Why? Because she needs us now. So if I don't want to do this, does that make me a bad person? So yeah, Carol definitely brings up potentially adopting Tatiana, which is kind of surprising. Yeah. Slash not surprising. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. I just adore the idea of this child not being abandoned again. (laughs) I just like, oh, it's so, so sad. This whole Tatiana storyline. Yeah. And I do like the idea of Carol, like taking her in. Oh, it would be so sweet. Yeah. Yeah. It would be so sweet, Mm -hmm. but tag, it doesn't seem like he's super on board, but I mean, I also get why he's not on board too. Like I would, I, you know, I get it. Like taking this random kid who got abandoned by their adopted child who just got here like however many months ago now that it now however many months ago it is right and uh you know yeah so I get why he doesn't want to Mm -hmm. and they're both working full-time I'm assuming it would be a big thing to take on just this random child but yeah I don't blame tag at all bond Yeah, yeah like if it was me I would be on Tag's side. Yeah. Like, I would be Tag more than I'd be Carol. Just because I'm, like, more of yeah, a practical sure. human being than an emotional person. So, yeah, like, there's no way I would be able to do that. Like, I wouldn't be able to take a kid in. 
like that. And takes not wrong. Like he says in this conversation, and it sounds callous, but like I was completely on board. He's like, how long does she have? Like we could be watching a child die for years, which is a Mm -hmm. lot. It's a huge commitment to do something like that. Like, uh, totally. You can't just throw that out and expect somebody to be on board. I don't know. I feel like it's completely reasonable for her to just stay at the Sunshine House and then Carol go visit her every day or multiple times a, a week or, you know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. And maybe she can get day passes and go home with Carol for a weekend or something. You yeah, know? totally. And I'm sure that that's possible. Yeah. Yeah. It seems a little absurd it that does. she has to adopt her. Anyway. Yes, I totally. I mean, it totally. is a TV show, but, you know. Yes. <laughs> All right. So then we go to Mark, who is late for his daughter's birthday party. Um, yes. And so he finally shows up there, and Jennifer, his wife, is not pleased. Uh, she had to run the whole birthday party by herself. And so she ends up telling Mark that she accepted another clerkship with the judge that she's been working with in Milwaukee. So she was like, you made a unilateral decision to become a attending and I made a unilateral decision to do another clerkship. So, uh, so like, screw you. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which I don't blame her for. I think I I would do the same thing. I actually just, I am really on Jennifer's side in all of this, in their arguments. I'm like, she's been bending over backwards for your entire career. You can make some sacrifices, Mark. Like, your like one sacrifice. Yeah. Move like, to another hospital. Move to another hospital. Like, Your job is portable. Like that's the joy of being a healthcare worker. Your job is portable and you are desired everywhere. It's not like you're giving up a ton of stuff. Yeah. This is what makes me think that maybe their relationship isn't great. It's because he is really digging in his heels with this. Like he's. Yeah. It, to him it's like. His job is everything right now, and maybe he doesn't realize how how unhealthy his relationship is because he's so happy at his job, and he's kind of like, oh, like, I have this, and I have my people that I work with, and I've built my network, and I've, you know, impressed the chief, and I've, you know, he's made relationships with his colleagues that are both professional and personal, and he's not realizing how unhealthy the relationship is whereas if he were to move maybe there's a fear of like oh now I actually have to confront my relationship right yeah I totally agree psychoanalyzing something that's probably you know it's a fictional character but (laughs) yeah no I totally agree I totally agree then we definitely we end up seeing kind of a parallel to Mark so uh Dr. Benton is also late for his mother's birthday and his mother has since gone to sleep since he arrives and um he ends up having this conversation with Jeannie who is the physiotherapist he hired Uh, this is a clip of them having a conversation about why he's late for his mother's birthday got stuck in surgery huh couldn't be at my mother's birthday party because I had to save a man with die nick die tattooed on his forearm (laughs) 
for my husband. It's a sad realization for Benton. Like, I mean, I did think in that moment, like, regardless, your shift ended at a specific time. So you would have been there regardless. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it's a hard thing to come to terms with when, like, you're missing your mother's birthday who has dementia. Mm-hmm. because you're in the operating room treating this white supremacist. Sometimes yeah. tough. Uh, I felt as if they were also getting us to think about, as healthcare workers, we have to treat people that don't align with our own beliefs. And this man in particular would have wanted all of the people in that room to be dead. Does think, right. like, thinks that all the people, because it was, who was it, Dr. Hicks? Dr. Benton, Malik, who else was Connie. in the room? Connie was in there. Yeah. Uh, I didn't and see how that And then that Asian nurse, and I can't remember her name yeah, in this her, moment. Yeah. But I love that she, like, looks at, like, he's unconscious. He's been stabbed in the chest. Like, is the knife is literally in his heart. Yeah. And that Asian nurse, oh, I wish I knew her name. I know. Uh, she looked down and she was like, how do you feel about Asians? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It was exactly. Just, what a yeah. ominous and incredibly traumatizing experience to be treating somebody who wants you dead. Who doesn't think that yeah, you like have... who hates yeah. you based off of your skin color. Yeah. Who like, thinks you're, like, not Nothing a, not to do really with who you are. Yeah. Like, you're not really a human. But... And that's, yeah. that's the struggle sometimes with healthcare. But also, I think that if, if you are a healthcare practitioner or if that's just too triggering, it's your responsibility to step out of the room and say, I won't be able to be in the room for this. But also, you know, when it comes to things where... You can't treat someone and just be like, my opinion doesn't matter here about whether or not this person is deserving of my treatments or treatment that we can provide. I'm going to do what I can to save them because that's what healthcare is. If you think that your opinions can dictate your care, then you shouldn't be a healthcare practitioner. Right. Your opinions don't matter in a healthcare setting. You treat that person as if it was your family member. And you provide them with the same standard of care that you would treat anybody. And even if they are a Nazi, which is like, which would be so hard to do. Totally. Totally. So hard to do. And that's what I really appreciated with Dr. Benton. He was like, okay, like, let's snap to it. Like, don't pay attention to that. He's a person and we have to save him. He is in our care. Right, right. There's this physician on Twitter who posted about racism actually in healthcare. And she posted this. So her name is Esther Chu, Dr. Esther Chu. I was taking care of a patient the other day who was very seriously injured. And I stepped out to talk to his family briefly and give him or give them an update. For context, he was black. I told them what was going on and quickly asked them, if they had any questions. And this is what they said. They told me that he worked for a well-known company and that he was a respected role at that company and that he was on his way to work and that he is loved by his community, is a good brother and a good son, and that he was well-dressed before, but his clothes are blood-soaked now, so you probably can't tell. Nothing in recent memory, she says, has broken my heart as much as gradually realizing that this family of a shattered man whose chief concern should have been When can I see him? When does he get out of surgery? Do you know his meds and allergies? Can his mom go in first? Had to worry about the racism inherent in this system. 
and in people everywhere meant that they had to spend a few minutes of time with me where they should have been asking questions more important than them trying to shift my potential implicit negative frame that she might have towards him because he's black. Wow. So, and I mean, I paraphrase some of that, but like this family, because they're black, had, they felt, they feel racism all the time. And especially they probably feel it in medicine. And so they were trying to convince this woman, like he's a good person, like to save him because there's enough racism in medicine where that if he were perceived as a thug or perceived as this and that, that they, they might not try as hard. Yeah, which is and then here, so sad. Right? Awful. That they feel yeah. like their, the time that the doctor is spending with them needs to be qualified with what kind of person he is and what he does for yeah. a living and where he yeah. works. Like, that is awful. Trying to plead, yeah, trying to plead with her like he deserves to live. But, and I think that in Canada, at least from what I've experienced and what I I hope, and I mean, I'm experiencing this from a white female perspective, but we try to save everybody. Like it really doesn't, there is no like, like if we're calling a death, we have done everything. Like we have done everything, whether it's, and it doesn't matter what type of person it is, like truly. Right. Um, At least from my experience, and again, that's anecdote. It's not necessarily the whole truth. These people, for example, in the show, all these black individuals working on a white supremacist, and they have to forego their biases. Meanwhile, they've probably experienced so much racism in their own workplace and within medicine. Right. Yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. They have to turn it off. But they, you know, they're, they want to save him anyways. But they might not have been given the same non-biased perspective. Oh my gosh, right. I can't even form my words. No, I'm so, I know. Ugh. I totally, you know yeah, what I'm no, saying? that's right. Like, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Ultimately, as healthcare workers, it should be a universal understanding that each person is deserving of life. Each right. person deserves to be saved and have everything done. Right. So that's the end of our episode. That's it. So, uh, Julie, do you have any predictions for us? Um, not really. I mean, Mark and Jennifer are done. I think Susan and Mark have had some very playful moments, and I think they're going to get together for show. Oh, I'm worried now about Tag and Carol, because they seem to be, there seem to be some pointers indicating that they might be on the rocks as well. Yeah. And I wonder if this whole thing with Tatiana is going to drive them apart. Right. Don't know. Yeah, like they may not even um, make it to the aisle. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? Yeah. So we'll see. It might not be my dramatic ending. Totally. What did you think of the part mm-hmm. where Susan and Mark were like walking down the hallway and Susan was talking about marriage and he she was like, Oh yeah. I yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know any marriages that are doing well. So like every marriage that I know is super rocky. And Mark was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> so. I know. I think that he definitely knows that his marriage is on the outs, but I don't know if he's quite ready to admit it yet. Yeah. And like clearly Susan agrees. Oh yeah. She, she sees it. 
Like, she didn't even deny what she had said. She was just like, ooh, yeah, I, yeah, all the you. marriages I know are rocky, yeah. including yours. Including you, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, it was so good. I loved that scene. Exactly. It was so good. Yeah. yeah. Well, they went on a Valentine's Day ice skate. Come on. Right. That's right. Yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah, it's just, just, it's just going to happen. Maybe they'll hook up and then they'll realize like, oh, we're better off just friends. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Just have like a mm-hmm. fling. I could see that. I could see that mm-hmm. happening because they mm-hmm. are really good friends. Mm-hmm. So they are good friends. Yeah. They have a good little, uh, they have some good banter. They do. And like, I don't know that they have a yeah. ton of chemistry. You know what I mean? I know. Like, I just don't yeah. feel that, like, love kind of connection. The spark. Yeah, spark. They don't, right. they don't have a Doug and Carol spark. Right, right. I even think yeah. that, like, Carter and Susan have more of a spark than Susan yes. and Dr. Green. Mark. Mark, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed, Yeah. And that's the end of our episode. So, you guys, uh, thanks for joining us for this episode. And uh, make sure you rate and subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcast and or anywhere you listen to your podcast weekly. That's, uh, I think, it, right? <laughs> that's, 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 Have a good week and we'll see you next Monday. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the episode, guys. This episode is created, edited, and produced by your hosts, Melissa and Julie. Music by Chris Yemez, photography by Ainsley Cardoso Wagner, and photo editing by none other than your hosts, Melissa and Julie. You can find us on Instagram at erdebriefpodcast or now on Twitter at erdebriefed. We post updates with new content on there as much as we can. You can also email us at erdebriefed at gmail.com with comments, questions, suggestions, and more. We try to respond as quickly as possible, and we always appreciate hearing your feedback. Thanks again. Thanks again.